please turn your Bibles to Exodus 19. Exodus 19, and someone was asking me about this last week, but um, the version of the Bible that we use in our congregation is the English Standard Version, and if you need a copy of that, um, you may uh, certainly grab a, a copy from the tables, uh, and we also have some of the Welcome Center, and there's also a... Um, an app that our church uses uh, called Version, and so you can, you can download that for free, and it has the different Bible translations there, including the English Standard Version. There is a, you can click on the events section, and you can have the notes. You can click on the events, and then Bethany Community Church, and it has all notes from sermons and announcements and things like that. I've been, uh, you know, it's, it's the next Pokemon Go, um, very popular. Um, I have no data to back that up. But um, it's good. And also, um, encourage you to, some of you are asking me about different sources and stuff, encourage you to check out the, the Post Sunday app on the Facebook page of our church if you want to know more about the different uh, books that we're uh, looking at and reading. And if you have any questions about the sermon, that's a, a great place to go to, to ask about the, the, the questions you might have from this passage. This is a, a hard passage. You know, it's not our, you know, I, I think this is a, um, it's a foundational series here. These these weeks we're talking kind of about the law, kind of trying to set up some things for us to understand as we get into the law in the coming weeks and months to help it help us understand how we're approaching it a little bit better. Maybe not what you typically expect in the weeks leading up to Christmas. Um, I thought about retitling this "The Christian, the Old Covenant, and Christmas Part Two, just to kind of. But I thought they'll see through that. Um, <laughs> It's not your typical Christmas message, even if you put Christmas in the title. But hopefully, uh, hopefully it will help you this, this uh, season as you think about how to approach all of God's Word and how all of God's Word points us to Jesus Christ. Um, and this anticipating the birth of, of Christ, anticipating the first Christmas. Uh, the, the Old Testament law does that. And hopefully you'll be encouraged as we study through this uh, this morning in the coming weeks. Although we'll do something different Christmas Day. Um, and I also encourage you to come out Christmas Day. Uh, come out uh, Christmas Eve service if uh, you would like. But I encourage you to, to make time uh, to, to worship the Lord on, on Christmas. And we'll have services Christmas morning, of course. Well, we're here in Exodus 19. And if you would, if you're able to, uh, stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. It's a very special uh, season here. Just very grateful we get to celebrate it together. Moses is writing this, compiling this to help us understand, and we're entering this section dealing with the covenant, and we read this in verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to 
the people of Israel. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we do recognize your graciousness to us. We recognize the joy of being your people. Help us to be uh, the people who who point others to you by your grace. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the Christmas season, uh, which means it's time for Christmas performances, plays, and pageantry. On Tuesday, our kids were involved in a, a Christmas presentation program, and they did, they did a great job, a wonderful job. And my son Noah, our 11-year-old boy, was involved in a, a little play that was part of this, this program And he played several characters, including John the Baptist. And I had meant to be a good father and rehearse his lines with him, uh, but I I didn't do that. And so I was sitting in the audience Tuesday evening when I I heard my son come on stage as John the Baptist, and he's he's preaching as John the Baptist to the Israelites. And And he said some words that I'm pretty sure John the Baptist never said. Um, he, he looks at them, and he says, he's, again, John the Baptist speaking to the Israelites, he says, no longer will we have to work our way to God by doing good works. And I, I'm in the eyes, I said, wait, what? <laughs> Audibly, before getting nudged. Um, and, uh, you know, wait, 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 no longer we have to work our way to God by doing good works. When, when it, no, when it, we never had to do that, is what I'm thinking in my mind. And Now, kids did a great job, wonderful play. You can kind of see how tough it is to be a part of my family, uh, just being transparent. So I, I talked to him later, I'm like, hey, son, great job, did a great job with your lines. Tell me, were there any lines you said that maybe thought were a little off? He goes, oh, yeah, the one about... Um, the one about working our way to God by good works. I said, yeah, that, that seemed a little off to me, considering we've been talking about that in church. We're in the middle of a series talking about how the Israelites didn't work their way to God by doing good works. That kind of seemed off to me, too. He said, I said, what, what do you think? He goes, well, I, I know that they were saved by grace as well, by, by believing in God that he would provide a Messiah. I said, okay, good. That's exactly right. But that line uh, of John the Baptist, you know, someone, a, a church wrote that, wrote that play, and someone wrote that line, no longer will we have to work our way to God, you know, by, by doing good works, earn our way to, to, to God by doing good works. That, that line represents how many people think of the Old Testament. They think, okay, we're saved by grace now, by believing in Jesus, but back then they had the law, and they had to obey the law, and if they didn't do the law, they weren't saved. And, and that's not the case. That's why I think this is such an important series for us to, to go through. I've been quite encouraged by, I told you I was kind of nervous about going through this. This isn't your typical sermon series, and I know it's a little bit more academic at parts than, than maybe we'd, we'd think we're going to do on a, on a Sunday morning, but I've been very encouraged by the emails and the comments that I got this past week. Uh, although last night I, I did have a dream. This is true. I, I had a dream and in my dream, I was going through the message, and I'm not sure if it's first service or second service, but you started leaving during the sermon. And you're like, you know, people are just like, ah, I don't understand what he's saying. This doesn't make any sense. And people were, were walking out. Now, I've had that dream before, um, 
but last night, I'm not kidding, last night in my dream, I walked out. Because I'm like, I don't know what I'm saying anymore either. And so I walked out. And then as I walked out, I, oh, right, this is how to say it. And I came back in and I said it the, a really good way. And it didn't match the PowerPoint, but still, it was a really good way. Now, unfortunately, I can't remember what I said in my dream. So we're going to go with my notes here. But um, I was really impressed by uh, how well people uh, hung with this uh, last week. Hopefully we'll be able to do it again this morning. And you'll be encouraged. It's hard stuff. Uh, you know, as, as we come to the law, we talked about this last week and kind of review a little bit here. There, there's several problems we have, right? I mean, th- this, these things that we read here, some of them, it's hard to understand how they're relevant to us. You see, we're going through the book of Exodus, and we start talking about building tabernacles chapter after chapter. And you're like, you know, I've set up a tent occasionally, but I don't know how in the world all these chapters on tabernacle building are going to help me. Or we come to some passages, and as we talked about last week, not only do we not know how they're relevant, we're not even sure what's being written. Like, I, mean, I don't understand what this even means. I don't know how long this length is. I don't know how deep this measurement is. I'm not sure. I can't picture it. I, I don't know. So that's another struggle we have. And we come to the New Testament. The New Testament seems to say some, some things about the law that are positive sometimes, and sometimes it's negative. How do we put all that together? As I mentioned last week, I believe that a, a careful study kind of laying the foundation is going to help us immensely as we think about how to approach this part of God's word, because indeed it is God's word. We find out about God and his character, his holiness. We find out about our need for God. We find out about how a person is justified by uh, God's grace through faith. We find out so many things that are crucial for us in living the Christian life. We find out that Uh, Not only do we begin by faith, but we find out about the dangers of legalism and believing that we can approach God on the the basis of our own works. There are so many crucial things that we can learn through this study. And so I just really appreciate you sticking with me through it. As we go through the laws in the coming months, but this is kind of our foundation, the question is going to be, how do we see the character of God and Jesus Christ revealed in in these verses, and how do we apply it to our lives? Now, Let me just remind you of some of the questions that we looked at last week. The first question was, where are we and where are we going? So we're here and we've we've gone through Genesis. We've seen creation. We've seen the covenant made with Abraham. We've seen the patriarchs. We come now to the book of Exodus, which is all about the formation of a nation, the beginning of a nation. And we saw the preparation of that nation, the first part of Exodus. Then we saw the the traveling in the wilderness, and then we come to chapter 19, which we are in right now, and we see the, the beginning of this covenant. The purpose for the covenant is really revealed in chapter 19. Why is God making this covenant? We'll, we'll talk about that more this morning. Second question that we asked, what does the word law even mean? And we saw as we looked at the word law that it can mean instruction or teaching. It can mean that if you see it in the Old Testament or the New Testament. The word Torah is the word for law in the Old Testament. Namas is the word for law in the New Testament. Whenever you see that English word law, we're talking about an instruction. And generally, when you see that word law in the Old and the New Testament, it's talking about the Mosaic law, the law that was given to Moses. And as I mentioned last week, whenever you see the word law, you often see that word law used in conjunction with another word, a word like 
uh, keep the law or, or walk in the law, obey the law, do the law, or, or don't forsake the law, don't transgress the law. In other words, the laws weren't meant to be these static rules that kind of are dusty sitting on a shelf somewhere. Like, oh, i got to obey those things. They, they're to be part of a person's life, and a person was to, to live and walk and, and do them as a reflection of the relationship with God. Third question we asked last week, what are some different approaches to understanding the relationship between Christians and the Old Covenant? And I, I showed you this chart, this, this first kind of graph here uh, with my friend Charlton Heston. And you kind of are on uh, this side of this, this spectrum. And I'm not sure I'm doing this right. Yeah, this side of the spectrum. And you have uh, Moses and, and the law. And so some Christians would say um, we're, we're still part of this of this law. This law is still applicable in terms of being authoritative today. There's uh, you know, one people of God, so I, I have the responsibility to be obedient to these things. On the other end of the spectrum, you would say, you know what, uh, we don't have anything to do with Charlton Heston and Moses, and so the law is not applicable to us today. Now, last week as I said this, um, I noticed that some of the younger people were giving me blank stares. Okay? They have no idea who Charlton Heston is. Uh, 1956 was several lifetimes ago for them, uh, even though it still comes on yearly uh, around Easter, I think. Um, they're like, whatever, I don't know, didn't get the joke. Maybe it wasn't funny, but it seemed like they didn't get it. So I thought I'd, I'd help. Here's another graph, Charles and Heston and Larry the Cucumber, okay? <laughs> this is from uh, VeggieTales, Mo and the Big Exodus, or the Big Exit or something, where Larry as a cowboy, plays Moses. I don't understand veggie tales, but that's, that's Moses as, uh, or Larry the Cucumber as Moses. And so again, this side of the spectrum, you have those who would still say the law is, is authoritative in a, in a way in which it's, it's to me. And far into the spectrum, you would have people would say, I, I need to follow the, the dietary uh, laws and the, the feasts and those types of things. And on the other end of the spectrum, you say, you know what, I have nothing to do with the law, okay? As I mentioned last week, we have people in our church who would fall at different parts of that spectrum. And as long as we're affirming the gospel and we're saying we recognize our need to receive God's righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ alone, then we can have unity, right? And I think scripture specifically addresses this. It says, hey, you know what? One person's going to do this, another person's going to do that. We live together. We, we have joy in the Lord. Now, of course, I have some thoughts. I have a place where I land in the spectrum. And, and as I mentioned last week, if you, if you draw the spectrum, you've got to put yourself in the middle. And so I'm kind of there in, in the middle in terms of you know, progressive uh, dispensationalism, progressive covenantalism. And you don't need to really think too much about what those, what those words mean necessarily. But just this idea, and we'll continue talking about this, this idea that that even though we're not under the Mosaic Law, there are some, some things that, because we're part of the people of God, are, are applicable to us. We'll, we'll talk, we'll nuance that more as we go on. So here's the fourth, um, the fourth question. Uh, what is the purpose of the law? What is the purpose of the law? Now, there are, there are three things that I want us to think about in terms of purpose. There are many different ways we could talk about this, but there's kind of three things that I want us to think about in terms of what the purpose of the law was. First, the purpose of the law, and we're talking about to the Israelites originally, the purpose of the law was one, to teach them about God, right? To teach them about God, about his character, 
about his holiness. Leviticus chapter 11 verse 45 says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Okay, so you notice there how the commandments are meant to reveal who God is. I'm the Lord, and this is what I did. This is who I am. And their holiness, them walking according to obedience, was was designed for them to understand this is about reflecting the character of, of who I am as your God. So one of the purposes of the law was to reveal the character of God, his holiness, his righteousness. Another aspect of the purpose of the law is the purpose of the law was to teach the Israelites about themselves, about humanity, about sin. A couple really important passages in Romans that describe this. The people of Israel, apart from God's special revelation, they may have known they were bad, but they wouldn't have known how bad and bad in what way. So listen to what Paul says in Romans 7. He says, um, what should we say? Should we say that the law is sin? By no means. In other words, uh, the law didn't make people sinful. It wasn't this wicked thing that you read the law and all of a sudden you became sinful. By no means. If it hadn't been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet, Paul says in Romans 7, if the law had said, you shall not covet. Now, the law didn't make Paul a person who coveted, but the law saying, hey, you shouldn't covet, made Paul aware, oh, I'm a coveter, right? Sin, he says, seizing an opportunity through the, through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law, or at least thought he was. When the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. This past week, kind of as an illustration of this principle, I was talking with Whitney about some of our, our Christmas plans, and sometimes Christmas plans involve Christmas surprises, right? And my, my son, uh, Noah, was overhearing what we were talking about, and he said, um, Dad, what you're describing kind of sounds deceptive. It sounds like you're trying to deceive. And I said, son, it's Christmas magic. It's okay. Um, no, I stopped. And said, huh, let me think about this. It, it, I am trying to get people to believe something contrary to fact. And pause here. You know. Now, my decision was my decision before he said anything. To be, but those words he said to me made me think through what I was doing. So, okay, let me think through. Um, all right, let me think about my motives here. And so I kind of talked about it. Okay, so son, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's easier to do this than this because if I do this, people get the wrong idea. So I'm doing this. And, da, da, and he goes, oh, so it's laziness. And so I grounded him. Um, no, that, the, 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 you know, the, the law is like, the, the, the law doesn't create sin in me. The law says, okay, uh, don't covet. I'm, I'm, whoa, I'm, I kind of want to, I'm a coveter. The law says, don't lie. I mean, I didn't think about that, but I'm kind of a liar. That's what the law does. Teaches the Israelites about sin. And another passage that I think is important to think about this idea of what the law does in terms of its purpose and revealing who we are Romans 5 says something interesting. It says in verse 20, the law came in to increase the trespass. Now, what do you mean? Is God saying, all right, I want to, I want to make people sin more, so I'm going to give them the law, and then they'll be better sinners. No, what it means is this. As people found out about God and his holiness, more of their sinfulness was revealed. Okay, this is how God wants me to walk. 
Sin comes, I am more aware of how unable I am to do that, and I have greater culpability. More instruction means more more culpability, increased sin. Whenever our kids were little and we were attending Bethany Baptist Church, for those of you who remember Bethany Baptist Church, remember there were like those, the old Bethany Baptists, there were these narrow hallways and, and thousands and thousands of billions of people walk, trying to walk through the, those hallways. And I can remember being a young parent with young kids and trying to get our children navigated through those hallways and sometimes very uh, sweet Sweet, uh, older ladies in the church might come up to your kids and, and say, well, how are you doing? Just kind of right in their face. Or maybe some young youth kids would get in their face. How, you know, hey, how are the kids doing? And as, at first as a parent, I would say, hey, say hello. Uh, you know, answer this question. Do this. And those of you who have kids know how fun that is for your children sometimes. And then you, you, know, you deal with it there. And then the next five feet, it happens again. And what we decided as parents is, look, I'm just increasing my children's disobedience because I'm constantly telling them to do things they don't want to do. And then I'm having to say, you know, I have to discipline them because they didn't obey me. It just, it, it increased the trespass. So what did we do? We said, okay, hey, let's, let's come up with a plan. Kids, as we're walking down the hallway, someone says hi to you, you need to say hi back. You don't have to say, you don't have to answer the question, where did you get your red hair? You don't have to answer the question, um, you know, uh, how did you get so tall? I mean, you don't, you don't have to answer those questions, but Answer the first question, and we cut down the rules so the trespass would decrease, right? But God knew exactly what instructions to give his people. He gives them those instructions, but they weren't able to keep them. Trespass increased. What's the purpose of the law? It's to reveal the character of God, to reveal the character of humanity, that we're sinful. It, it, it traps us in sin, really, as sin is revealed. But a third purpose of the law, not just to teach people about God and themselves, but to teach people about faith, about faith. This is a very important point, but as you read through the Pentateuch, as you read through these first five books of the Bible, we don't have every instruction that was ever given to the people of Israel through Moses, right? We know that even already in Exodus, there have been instructions that God has given to Moses, and he's using those instructions to govern the people. We don't have all that. Ever thought about that? Why do we have what we have? Moses is the one who writes this. He's the one who puts it in its final form. Moses is the one who not only writes down the stories about the law, but he's the one who writes out the story about Abraham and being saved by faith. In other words, the law occurs in the context of a story, and the purpose of the story, I would argue, is to highlight the importance of faith. One person put it this way, the most characteristic feature in the structure of the Pentateuch is the consistent use of the word faith or believe it at critical points in the story. So, for example, Genesis 15, 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Exodus 4, 5 um, God is speaking to Moses, and he says, uh, we're going to do this so that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, has appeared to you. Exodus fourteen thirty one. the people put their faith, their trust in the Lord, and in Moses, his servant. Numbers fourteen eleven, describing that, that sin by which the people refused to enter the promised land, it says in Numbers fourteen eleven, as God's talking about what's just happening, he says, how long will these people, he doesn't say how long will the people refuse to obey me, he says, how long will the people refuse to believe in me? 
How long will the people refuse to believe in me? Numbers 20.12, the, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, they're being punished because you did not trust in me. In other words, as you go through the Pentateuch, what you see is that this is a message about faith and belief in God. And it's not that you come into relationship with God by obeying the law, but the, the message of the Pentateuch is you need to believe God to become in relationship with him. Here's, here's kind of a graph to illustrate that. In the Pentateuch, what you see so clearly, beginning with Abram, is that faith brings you into relationship with God And from that relationship with God flows obedience to the law. Faith brings you into relationship with God. By faith, you receive justification. You're declared righteous. And through that, you're obedient to the law. Obedience to the law reveals faith. Here's a wrong way to understand it. It's not that you have obedience to the law and then you add to that faith and then you have a relationship with God. That's not the message of the Pentateuch, but it's how we so often incorrectly understand what's happening there. It's why someone could write a play where my son utters the word, hey, no longer will we have to earn our way to God by doing good works. Well, of course you don't have to do that and you never could do that and that was never God's instruction to you. Faith brings us into relationship with God, and causes obedience, to the law, causes obedience to the law. The law reveals our sin, it reveals who God is, and it tells us this message. As we think through that together, hopefully we'll be encouraged as, as we see how God instructs us in that. I read somewhere that, that texting, uh, texting is a, a brilliant way to miscommunicate what you mean and misunderstand what others mean, right? Texting is a brilliant, ways, a brilliant way to miscommunicate what you mean and misunderstand what other people mean. Why is that? Because as you, as you read a text, it's like, and it's not always true, right? But as, as you read a text, sometimes you, you read this text and you, you lack context. Whenever you read that text, you don't know what the... Um, where the other person was when they sent it, obvious. Uh, uh, oftentimes, you don't know the expression on their face. Um, some people are very poor with grammar in a text, and so there's some confusion there. Did, this, did they mean a comma here, or do they mean an exclamation mark or a question mark? And, and as we read a text, we have to kind of put in some of the context. Now, when it comes to the law, one of our struggles can be is we just kind of read a verse and we read it outside of its, of its context, what it's trying to tell us. As we think through what's happening here, we understand, okay, the purpose of the law, the law doesn't just exist outside of a story. It's part of the story of faith. It's teaching us how we come into relationship with God by faith and then walk in obedience to him. Now, here's the fifth question. What are some principles to help us understand and apply the Mosaic Law, and the Old Covenant. Okay. What are some principles? And we're not going to get all the way through these principles this morning, uh, but, but these are some things that hopefully, and by the way, this is where people started walking out of my sermon in the dream. So um, if you need to go to the restroom or something, I apologize, but just for my emotional well-being, no. <laughs> Leave if you need to. Uh, but, but here's kind of a, hopefully, a, I'm trying to lay this out in a, a logical progression to help us understand how to view the law and how to think through it. And we'll kind of begin it this week and then we'll uh, continue in the, the week to come. 
the first principle is this. The law is God's word, okay? Sometimes people look at the law and think, well, the law was, you know, this Moses thing. No, yeah, Moses gave the law, but the law is God's very word. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 13, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. He says in verse 52 of Psalm 119, When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. I know, O Lord, he says in verse 75, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you've afflicted me. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens, uh, verse 89. The sum of your word is truth, verse 160, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Your law is true, he says in Psalm uh, Psalm 119, verse 142. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. You're near to me, O Lord, verse 151, and your commandments are true. Great peace, are, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. So in other words, as we look at the Old Testament and the law, what do we see about the law? It's God's very word. It's why Paul is able to tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture, and he's talking there about the Old Testament for Timothy. He's talking about Timothy, you've learned these things, you've known them, and in it you've, you've found the gospel in these things. And he says all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's, that's the law. It's God's word. It's good. Here's the second principle. The law, and we've talked about this already, the law did not bring about salvation, right? The law did not bring about salvation. The psalmist in Psalm 40 realizes, look, sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted. Those things don't bring about salvation. Hebrews 11, as it describes the the men and women of, of faith, talks about how they, they gained approval through faith, not through the law. Paul, as he talks about how a person can receive righteousness, remember the book of Romans, he's very concerned. How do we get righteousness? How do we get righteousness? And Paul, whenever he wants to make it very clear to us that we didn't receive righteousness through works, he talks about Abraham. That's, that's Paul's go-to guy, Abraham. He'll talk about how Abraham was declared righteous by God in Genesis 15. His, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. That faith manifests itself in obedience in Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis 25, uh, 26, God would say this about Abraham. This is a very interesting verse to mull over as we think about Abraham and his relationship to the law, what, what Moses was trying to tell us about Abraham in the Pentateuch. In Genesis 26 verse 5, God says that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, how in the world can Abraham keep God's law hundreds of years before it's given? By faith. By faith. Paul in Romans 4 says, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. How is Abraham declared righteous? By faith. How does Moses get righteousness? By faith. How does anyone at any time throughout God's plan of redemption get saved? By grace through faith. 
The law did not bring about salvation. Although it declared it. Here's a third principle. The law was given to a specific people at a specific time. Now, not everyone's going to agree with with this point, but this is where I have arrived as I think about the law and our relationship to it now. Uh, The Mosaic law was given to a specific people at a specific moment in time. So, uh, Mosaic law comes after the covenant with Abraham. So, this is point Paul makes again and again. His covenant with Abraham, hundreds of years later, come, comes the law. Galatians 3.17, Paul says, the law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So the Mosaic law doesn't replace the covenant with Abraham. The Mosaic law is given as kind of a continuation of God's plan, but it's to a specific people at a specific time. So there's several examples I could give you to, to show you this, but as you look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, for example, Moses is, is teaching the people, and he says this. He says, I've, I've taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who say, when they hear all these statutes, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So, the law, this Mosaic law, was given to the people of Israel as they were going to go into this land and live in this land surrounded by Canaanites. And the Canaanites had all these different practices and cultic worship and all these things. And so God tells his people, this, this physical nation, okay, as you live in this specific land, here's how I want you to live. And so that's, that's the Mosaic law. Now, I think almost all of us would agree that not every commandment that God has given every person in Scripture is applicable to all people. In other words, uh, Jesus tells the rich young ruler, sell all your possessions and, and, and give everything away. And I, I would guess that most of us say, yeah, that was an instruction by God, but it was to a specific person at a specific time, and it's not applicable to me the same way. Now, there's some principles to learn for that, but from that, and all that I have belongs to God and so forth. But now, if you do believe that, I'd like to talk to you later. We can talk about what we can do with that, uh, with that, that money and stuff, but um, different conversation. But I, I think we'd all agree that general principle, and, and I think it applies here as well. This, this Mosaic law was given to a specific people at a, at a specific time. Some people would use the phrase, it's, it's a cultural phenomenon. Now, it's, it's God's word, and yet it's God's word to a, to a certain culture at a certain time. If my 10-year-old daughter and my 15-year-old daughter are both in the room, I come up to my 10-year-old daughter, and now I'm, I'm the father of both of these uh, young women, but I talk to my 10-year-old daughter, I say, 10-year-old daughter, actually I call her Ellie, Ellie, I'm your father, uh, I'm wise, I'm loving, I want good things for you. Uh, did I mention that I'm wise? Uh, here's, here's some instructions for you about cleaning your room, and here's what I want you to do with these toys over here. Uh, here's some ways I want you to treat your brothers a little bit differently, and uh, this is what I want you to do at your gymnastic practice uh, tomorrow, and here's how we're going to handle your schedule, Okay. Now, my 15-year-old daughter 
is also my daughter. And, the, and, and my character is my character, and I love both of my daughters. But as, as she listens to me give that instruction to Ellie, she recognizes that not all of those instructions apply to her. She's not in gymnastics. That's not her room. The, but, but there are things that she's, if she's a wise young woman, which she is, she's going to say, okay, this is what my dad's instruction is to my sister. Here, here's how I need to apply that because it's, he's still my dad and there's, st- there's still things to learn. Here's how I need to treat my brothers in a similar way. As we think about God's word, it's to a specific people at a specific time. But he's talking to them, okay, here's how you live. Here's how you live in this land. And we can understand things about God and his character and about how we're supposed to live differently than the people around us. But it's, it's a different context. And scripture supports that understanding, by the way, right? The Mosaic Law, we'll talk about this in the coming weeks, has come, come to a conclusion of fulfillment in Christ. We'll, we'll talk through that. We may not all land at the same place, but we'll, we'll talk through it. Here's kind of a, a chart that a, a man named Douglas Moo used to kind of help us describe this relationship. And this is, this is helpful for me. You have an eternal moral law of God based upon who God is and his character. He is always going to be a righteous God. He's always going to be a God who loves justice. He's always going to be a God who's holy. And there's a, in, his, in that eternal moral law, he gave his Mosaic law for Israel and contained both the eternal moral law, some temporary limited commands, and, and all of that is there. And then now, for us, that law has come to fulfillment in the person of, of Christ, and now we have the law of Christ, which is for the church. There's different ways to understand this, and I think we all tend to land kind of near the same place. Some people would, would say it this way, and, and I've taught it this way as well. Some people would say, well, there's kind of three parts to the law that was given to Moses. There's the moral law, there's the civil law, there's the ceremonial law. And the, the civil and the ceremonial law have come to a conclusion, but the moral law of God continues. And that's, that's another way to say somewhat the same thing, although I don't think you see that distinction as clearly in Scripture as I would like, and sometimes I think some of the hermeneutical things we do with that uh, aren't consistent. This kind of arrives at the same place, a slightly different road, and I think more accurately describes the law in the way that Scripture does. So, of course, the moral law of God continues because it's based on the eternal moral law of God, but that may be a a distinction too, uh, too fine to go into this morning bottom line is this. Law was given to specific people at a specific time. And as we come to the law, we find out what God's law was for the Israelites. And and now we understand uh, more about God's character, his righteousness, and how we live in obedience to that, even as part of the new covenant under the law of Christ. For example, even though I have never been part of the northern kingdom of Israel— even though, to the best of my knowledge, I've never engaged in economic oppression of Israelites, I can, on Monday night, come to the book of Micah, as my friend Bill Tate was kind of instructing our Gospel Institute class on Monday night, and my friend Bill can read chapter 2 of Micah, where it says, 
Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil in their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They, they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. And, you know, again, I, he's talking there about this, these, these uh, Israelites who are engaging in oppression. And they're so concerned about the financial things that they're, they're like laying in bed awake at night thinking about how they can devi- do this evil that they're devising because they're so covetous. Now, never struggle with that. Never have been lying awake in bed at night thinking, how can I get those Israelites? Um, but, but there's application for me, right? There's application. As Micah speaks this word to the Israelites, I, 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 and listening to Bill on Monday night, I'm convicted. I'm like, oh, you know what? There are times that I lay on my bed at night thinking about material things and worrying and, and wanting things that I, sh- I shouldn't desire. It's God's word. His character is revealed in it. It's good. We're going to walk through some of these passages together. Here's, here's the last thing I'll say. Uh, fourth principle, the law proclaims the gospel and is fulfilled in Christ. We'll talk more about this next week, but the law proclaims the gospel and is fulfilled by Christ. Here's, here's what we read in Romans 3. In Romans 3, it says, The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What does it tell us? The law, the prophets, bear witness to the gospel. They, they proclaim the good news that's found in Jesus. Fulfilled in Christ. As we go through this study, I hope that God gives you, by his grace, great joy. As, as you see that, that God's plan for his people has never been about them trying to, to uh, earn their salvation through works. God's plan has never been that his people would uh, be justified on the basis of their works. But God's plan has always been salvation by his grace working through faith. And that God has always called, always called his people to pursue holiness by continuing to work in their hearts by grace, as we exercise faith in God that the things that he's called us to do are the right things to do. That loving our neighbor is the right thing to do because we believe that God's way is good and righteous. That pursuing morality and, and, and sexual purity is, is good because God is good and wants what's right for us. We believe him, we trust in him. That speaking honestly is, is good for us and will bring joy because God is good and righteous and we trust in him and believe in him. By God's grace, we see as we come to the law who he is, who we are, and this message of being saved by his grace through faith, and we walk in obedience for our joy and God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus. We pray that we walk in it today by your grace as we come to your word. We pray this in the matchless name of your son, Jesus. Amen.